Are you a podcaster? Maybe you've got that big idea and you're looking for a network to join. The multi-award-winning Ozcast Network can get your content to eyes and ears all over the world. Join now for the first month free, and you could be featuring this sound at the beginning of your podcast. Ozcast. Simply head to ozcastnetwork.com for details. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to an overdue episode, I feel, on the Unleashed podcast. And I do want to acknowledge we have taken a few weeks off in between some of our recent episodes due to the crazy way the world is with lockdown. So I do just want to send my wishes to all the listeners, all the subscribers out there. I hope everyone is keeping safe in lockdown. We are aiming to keep doing more episodes over the coming weeks, so we are back on deck. Um, so I appreciate you staying and being patient with us. But I'm super excited to kick back our podcast and our venture with a friend of mine that I played football with probably 10 years ago now. And seeing his journey from afar has been actually um, quite inspirational for what he's achieving at, at a relatively young age. But um, very happy to bring you Adelaide United's uh, captain, Stefan Mork. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, good, bro. How are you? Very well, man. I'm very well. How are you going in Adelaide? Like, what's the lockdown vibe there? Is it pretty cruisy in comparison to Melbourne? Yeah, it's pretty pretty cruisy. Um, if, yeah, in, unless you're going into a venue, really, you don't even know that it's a lockdown, obviously, or any restrictions because it's, it was seven days back, I think, three weeks ago. And then since then, they've just been easing them more and more. And now it's you know you go into a restaurant cafe you got to wear your mask and then you sit down and you don't even uh, you don't even remember that there there is restrictions so it's um pretty yeah being pretty fortunate to be in Adelaide at this time <laughs> oh, man that's just that's a rubbing salt in the wound I shouldn't have even asked that <laughs> um but no we go a little way back because I want to start like where we cross roads which was at the Australian Institute of Sport and I don't know how long we were there with with each other but obviously you came over from South Australia as a South Australian boy and I moved in there from Melbourne. Can you just um, talk me through, I guess, that time and that period back in your life and what that was like for you, I guess, moving into an elite institution of football with, with some of the more elite players around the country? Yeah, it was, it was unbelievable. I think um, it's quite sad to know that there isn't the institute anymore because that, uh, that whole experience for me, not just on the field, but off it, I think um, really shaped who I am as a person and, and understanding of what it takes to be a professional. You're obviously surrounded by other athletes your age in the football program, but also other athletes that are Olympians and trying to get to the Olympics. And um, they're living and breathing it. And you're just exposed to, um, you know, anything that you, I guess, could want as a young athlete. So it was... Um, it was a great experience and I, I loved my time there. I think we spent a few few months together. I reckon you actually did a, a presentation to us. I don't know if you remember that, but no. you, in the in the yeah. Oh, no. In the in the auditorium. Yeah, we you did a presentation. So. Oh, was this when um when you were you at Sassy then? Were you at the South Australian? Yeah, it might it, yeah, it might have been like a few months like when we had the NTC challenge there in December. You did a you did a chat to us. Um, I think it was all the all the different states. So yeah, it's pretty funny. What, what, what was it good? <laughs> it must be good if you remember. I it. think yeah, yeah, no, it was good. Yeah, it was good. I don't I even remember I that. Thinking, yeah, I thought this guy can this guy can speak well. He should maybe start a podcast. Yeah, one there day. you go. Uh, I found my calling. Uh. <laughs> yeah, but um, I, I've been really impressed with like you as a as obviously a footballer, but I think more as a human. Like the some of the things that I'm hearing about you, and obviously 
that we're going to talk through around some of your ventures and your attractions outside of sport is actually really interesting for someone so young and probably is becoming a bit more common in the professional life of, of an athlete. Um, but I do want to just like pick your brain a little bit um, around the current time because you're in a preseason now, an A-League preseason, and like anyone knows with the A-League, it's a really sort of short and crammed and full-on season and then there's an epic long preseason um, that sort of comes with. It's not your, your typical preseason in Europe that's yeah. sort of six weeks or four weeks, right? So how are you kind of attacking that from a mentality standpoint and, and working through that? Yeah, I think um, obviously the A-League pre-seasons are the, are the longest in the world, I reckon, out of any league. And with <laughs> with COVID, um, who knows, it probably could be even longer this year than than what they're anticipating. Um, but it's tough. You know, I think the, the FFA Cup or the FA Cup now is something that at least breaks it up. But mm. that, again, has been pushed back an extra month. So that's something that's disappointing. And to play friendly games is almost impossible for us um, with the NPL here. Um, they're cramming so many games in because of lockdown, so we can't even really play those teams. So it makes it a lot more challenging. And for me personally, I'm actually injured, so I just had surgery last Friday on my leg, um, which has, I guess, not uh, not been good timing. But um, you know, if there's ever a preseason to be injured, I think this is not a bad one because it's given me it's going to give me enough time to actually get fit afterwards and back running. So I've tried to try to just stay motivated and um, and set little goals for myself and even being injured even more so, I guess, you know, you, you have certain sessions that you're obviously doing things that you don't enjoy, but, you know, you're just trying to get the best out of yourself in each session. And, and that's that's really all you can do and, and not focus too much to the future because who knows, who knows what's happening. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, right, because I always feel being um, injured as an athlete is like a very lonely time in professional sport. Um, because you're obviously doing quite a lot of things on your own and you're kind of separate from the group and you've got to go through this journey and your own mental battle to get back. Um, But for you, you're obviously a leader and an integral part of the club in regards to like the the change room, the on-field examples, the off-field examples. So do do you kind of, does that help? Like kind of, you know, bring you back into the group and keep you in in with everyone sort of being around the group in that sense? Because I guess you're kind of forced to, um, you know, still be within everyone and speaking to the coaches around what's going on? Yeah, definitely I'd I'd agree with that. I think um, it is tough because you are separate from the group, you know, when they're they're training, you're probably in the gym. When they're doing their prehab, you know, you're not really allowed to be in the gym because it's too crammed. So you do almost feel like you're... um, you know, not not second to the main group, but at a certain level, you kind of are. You know, you're you're on a different timetable. You know, when they've got days off, maybe you're in training. When um, when it's working out like that, it's obviously it's it's hard. But at the same time, like you know, being a leader at the club, I'm, I'm able to be in some meetings and I still try and watch as much of the session as possible. And and I guess trying to then go to the other side of it, where we've got four or five guys injured at the moment. So how can I create? Um, a good environment in the rehab section when, you know, nobody likes doing, you know, the grinder or the assault bike or any of those hard <laughs> sessions, but trying to make it as competitive as possible because that's, I guess, the way I play. And I think that's something that we can improve on as a, as a club. You know, if we want to be the best, we have to be competitive with everything. So just trying to focus on different areas of it. Right. So, I mean, separate from your injury, obviously that's probably your main focus, but like in, from your sort of personal game, has there anything you've, identified that you want to really improve upon or or even get better at or you know is there any weaknesses you've identified that you think if you can get better at that you're going to become an all-around better player 
Um, I think last year, one of the big things for me I, I wanted to do was obviously sc score more goals. And I think um, I did relatively well, um, bar my the last probably seven or eight games where I was struggling to run. Um, I was doing really well. Um, and I think the next step to then bring that where I kind of stopped focusing on it so much was creating a little bit more. Um, I was more worried about getting in the box, being in the right position where if a cross was coming in, I wasn't focusing so much on, I guess, hurting the opposition with passes as much or looking for assists. Um, so I think if I can now bring that in as well, then obviously you're the complete midfielder um, as such. So that's, that's going to be an aim of mine for this preseason. Mate, you started last season off on absolute fire. I don't know what your goal to game ratio was in like the first 10, 10 rounds, but it was like pretty incredible. I don't know if you were like top scorer at one point two. But I, I recall you said you banged in like six or seven pretty quick, um, which yeah. was which was pretty impressive. But I just want to actually go back to last season because I I don't think as many people gave Adelaide as much credit coming into that season of what you guys could achieve. I think probably losing a couple of senior players. I know you brought in Tommy Urich, but it, it, it probably seemed like it was more of a youthful side under Carl Viet, right? Um, and people didn't really give you the credibility that you could go on and do what you did. So... I mean, how do you look back on last season with what you guys achieved? Do you feel you, you were expecting that internally to, to get to where you were? Yeah, I, I think internally um, you're always aiming to, to win it. You know, I don't think any player or any club's going out there not to win it. But if someone said at the start of the season you're going to um, finish, I think, fourth or third or fourth, I can't even remember where we finished now, but we obviously made the semifinals and, and went down to a good Sydney team. So if someone said that, you would have been like, you know what, we're in the last four with the, the team and the injuries, I think, that we had, that's a great performance. Um, but it's, you know, outside, I think we were always, um, I guess being in Adelaide, you're kind of just out of out of the news and, and almost <laughs> irrelevant sometimes. So, you, yeah, you just get pushed to the side. And, and I think we use that as motivation and, and it was something for us as players and, and the coaching staff were like, well, nobody's speaking about us. Even when we, I think we went seven undefeated, people still weren't saying that we were one of the better teams. They were always talking about Melbourne City and Sydney FC are going to come good and, and Western Sydney have got great players. Um, so I think, you know, we use that as a as something to spur us on. And, and even for this season, the same. I'm, I'm sure nobody's going to talk about us and, and we're happy with that because we'll just let our performances do the talking when we start playing. Yeah, I, I kind of like when, when people were saying they're a very young team, I was like, I think it's a really good thing, one. But I'm like... I don't think people are acknowledging like you've got some really good senior players in that dressing room too. It's like, you're not all kids. There's, there's like, I know you're quite a young captain, which I'm going to go into straight after this point. But I mean, there was like Tommy Urich, Craig Goodwin, Ben Halloran, Jakobsen, the, the two boys from Spain who were, who obviously, you know, stellar careers in themselves coming to Adelaide. Um, so I always felt like it was like a really poor judgment when people were saying that. And I wasn't surprised that you guys got to where you were. It's funny when we did um, the A-League, like an overview of the season um, and a preview leading into the finals. Cam uh, Watson and, and even Dario had you as Smokies to win it um, coming into the finals because obviously anything, anything, it's really hard to beat Adelaide at Coopers for one. And then you guys away form wasn't too bad. So um, what what's impressive for me though, and this is like a, this is actually quite incredible and I'm, I'm glad to see it, but you were made captain of Adelaide United at 25 years old. And I don't really recall anyone across the A-League history that may have been as young as a captain. There might have been one or two, um, but it's a pretty impressive achievement, right? And I'm, I'm really intrigued to know, I guess, how that came about. And I actually think you'll probably be the youngest captain in, in um, the club's history anyway, surely. Um, so 
yeah, I'd be really interested to know how that came about and obviously how that, you know, you obviously must have been attracted to that opportunity too. Yeah, I yeah. I think I definitely am the youngest one at the club. They um they told me that, but I don't know about the league. I think Mitch Cooper did one game at oh, Gold that Coast. Doesn't didn't he? That was my debut. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't. No, that? But you're like a genuine club. Yeah, player. I know. Yeah, no, yeah. actually, I do. Nah, wanna, I get what you're saying. I just want to touch on this. I spoke. Uh, there's a goal. There's uh, Vince Regari. He's a journalist for. Um, I don't know if he's for the Sydney Morning Herald or someone, but he's he was a journal up in the Gold Coast at the time. You might have you might know Vince. You might have done interviews with him anyway. Yeah. Um, he's doing like a documentary, a podcast documentary on Gold Coast United, and I had to yeah. go, like he's done a bunch of episodes. He's compiling. It, he's going to release it, and we spoke about that day with Coops um, when he captained because it was my debut as well. And the only reason he was captain is because he was like fifty days younger. So I, they made me vice oh, captain, wow. which was and I listened back. He played an interview back of us like in the journos and it was like they were taking the piss out of us like oh like you know and i was just like this is like a hideous i can't believe they put us through that <laughs> and anyway coops was so nervous that when we were walking out of the tunnel to go onto the field because we were playing melvin hart or melvin hart at the time and fred was the captain and stuff and he we got out to the front and the ref just looked at him and goes where's your shin pads and coops is like oh and he had to run back in and get his shin pads on. I was like, we're going to get fucked. Oh, no. We're going to get fucked today. <laughs> but anyway, just to, just to go back Crazy. to your point. There yes. you go. So how, how did it come about? I mean, how, did you get approached by Bruce or was it from Carl? Or... Um, so I, I guess going back, um, go back a little bit further than that. When I, came, when I was coming back to Adelaide, it was actually something that I um, probably the last season at Brisbane and then coming into Adelaide, I, I actually wrote down in the, the journal that I was using then I wanted to become more of a leader. Um, that was something that I did. I didn't say I wanted to become captain. I, I just said I, I really want to become more of a leader. I think I have a lot of experience, even though back then I think I was 24, 23 at the time. I was like, I, I really want to pass on the experience that I have and not worry so much about myself. Um, I think, you know, when you start to worry and focus more on helping other people, you play better yourself anyway. So 100%. that was something that I, that I obviously wanted to, um, wanted to do. And then coming back to Adelaide, even more so, especially once we um, got into the hub, we had a really young team. Some foreign players didn't come. And then the new season started after the hub. And obviously the club really rebranded in the sense of they wanted to be very South Australian focused. They wanted to provide a good pathway for young players and um, and that was kind of the way they were going forward. And it wasn't something at this time that I ever thought, obviously I was going to be the captain. There was you know, a chance of really anyone being the captain. Um, I was just going about my business in, in the best way possible and I actually missed a lot of the pre-season with the same injury that I just had operated on. Um, but obviously in everything I was doing, whether it was off the field or on the field, I was trying to... I guess galvanize the group, make it make it a better team, and and then whenever I was in the media, obviously trying to speak as well as I could and, and promote the club. And um, I guess what they were looking for at that time was someone that kind of ticked all the boxes. Ideally, if they could be South Australian, someone that could be um, a face of the club, good for the media, and, and someone that obviously set the standard in training was, I'm, I'm sure, a massive part of it as well. So it was. Um, I guess the three just combined really well and, and what they thought about me as a person. And I got called into uh, Bruce's, I had a meeting with, um, with I think it was Bruce about a media media thing, but before that, Cole Viet um, called me into his office and I had no idea what it was about. And he just said, listen, like we've obviously 
going the way we are with the club. Um, we've wanted to make a few changes and, and we've decided to, to make you the club captain. So it was, um, That's awesome. it was something that I, yeah, I, I obviously didn't expect, um, really didn't expect. And it was, uh, my dog's just barking. No, um, and yeah, it was um, a massive shock to be honest. Like you, you obviously, you know, I, I would have loved it. You know, if someone said to me, you're going to be the captain, but it wasn't something I set out to do. So when he, when he told me that, I was just really, I guess, proud. Um, and then went and did the media stuff for it. And yeah, it was a, a crazy probably couple of weeks just with obviously everybody messaging you, a little bit more commitment of the, the media stuff. And I guess that's um, the backstory of it. But uh, I think it was hopefully people in the club would say it hasn't changed the way I am. I, if I wasn't captain or was, I, I would hope that I would still be acting the same way. And I think that's the most important thing. That's a hard thing to do, man. That's an unbelievable story as well. And I think credit to Adelaide for um, putting putting you in a position because obviously off, based off the performance and as I said, the start of last year, um, you definitely took it in your stride. But I'm interested to know, do you actually think it's changed you or not necessarily changed for the worst, but changed you as a player in the sense of you feel more responsibility, you actually, fit, you actually utilize that pressure and, and that leadership to make you a better player as well? Do you think those things have actually propelled your game to a new level in any in any way? Uh, I think the, uh, probably the first couple games of the season, a little bit more. We started okay, and then we had probably two or three really bad losses, and I um, I missed one or two of those games as well. Um, so then when I was coming back, I really wanted to make sure that I, I guess I could impact the team, and that was more so in performances on the field because we needed to win. And, um, and it was actually Ross Aloisi that came up to me and said, listen, you know, you don't need to try and act any different to, to what you were before you were captain. You know, you going out there and focusing on your own performance is probably the most important thing, especially at that time of the season when we needed to win. And it was probably something that I needed to hear right then and stop mm. trying to help everyone else too much and neglect my own game. You know, if you can get a good balance, that's, that's the ideal thing. But he said, if you go out and play well and do your best, people are going to follow you and they're going to obviously start playing better as well themselves. And, and that was something I needed to hear. And I tried to, as much as I did with helping other people, but I, I had to make sure that I was playing, you know, mm. my best football as well. And, and that was something that, you know, especially those like you touched on the first couple months before I think I started hobbling around the field. Um, yeah, I was, I was flying and everything, everything was really good. And, and hopefully this season it will, um, it will be the same as well. It's interesting. Actually, that's great advice from um, Rossellis. He obviously was a former captain of the club. But it's funny you say that because when I always associated captains on football fields, I always thought it was obviously usually one of the better players or the more experienced, but the ones that were vocal, like in and out of the change room. And it wasn't until I got to Adelaide when Eugene was captain, and Eugene will probably hate me saying this, but like Eugene just never, he never spoke, man. Like he was club captain and never spoke. Not, not on the field, he would speak to you off the field, but on the field, wasn't really vocal. Like he tell you things but his way of leadership was like he would just do three match winning saves in like a 10 minute period and like your just chest would get bigger and you'd feel like oh my god do you know what i mean and i was like okay now i understand yeah. why do you know there's so there are different ways you can lead and it probably comes back to your point when you're playing well that's the kind of lift everyone everyone needs um it's interesting though because your journey like you're a, you're a proud south australian boy um, which i can tell and obviously now you're the face of the club but your initial moves um, when you left the AIS um, into A-League clubs were, were at other clubs, so Melbourne City and, and also Brisbane Raw. So um, what do you think you really gained out of those experiences in those clubs, um, I guess, to support where you're at now? 
Yeah, I think the first, um, obviously moving to Melbourne Heart was a massive thing. I was obviously, um, I think it was 18 months I was at the AIS for, and then I got the opportunity to go on train with Melbourne Heart. And from that, we, um, a few of us got a contract. And, and it was, a, I guess, uh, an unbelievable feeling. I did, you know, in the back of my mind, I always wanted to get signed by Adelaide. And I went on a, a tournament with Adelaide probably a few months before that and did really well and was hoping I was going to get a contract from that uh, for a Champions League. I think you you might have been at the club at the time and it was a Champions League um, contract and it never came never came through and then kind of just lost touch with um, Michael Valkanis, who was the one that was trying to help it along. And when I, when Melbourne Heart came forward with an offer, I, you know, I wasn't going to go to Adelaide and say, listen, they're offering me something. Are you going to give me any something? It was more, well, Melbourne Heart believe in me. They think I'm... I'm a good good fit for the club and, and I trusted them. So I was um, pretty ecstatic to go there at that time. And, and I'm, I'm glad I did because I think, again, moving to Canberra was one step of, you know, becoming more independent. But mm. you, you were living on site there. You had people helping you. But then moving to Melbourne, you know, I was not even 17 yet. I was living with another player. I didn't have my license yet. It was a massive city. I didn't, like, I... I you know, it was a struggle. I was getting people to pick me up for training or sometimes catching the, the tram, the 86 down to um, <laughs> to the uni and and walking across for an early physio appointment. And it was it was all these learning experiences that you would never think a professional footballer would do. But, yeah. you know, you, you have to. And, and it was a, a really important four years for me to, I guess, experience a lot of highs and a lot of lows and, and understand the way that, I guess, the football club works and, and the Melbourne heart to Melbourne City transition was awesome to see as well with the extra resources you were getting and, and being world-class players but it um I guess in the end after that I, I then ended up coming back to Adelaide the first time and, and won the A-League and then um coming back from from Holland I had the opportunity to go to Brisbane um and I just felt like at that stage the club um was in a better position than what Adelaide was and, and I didn't feel I didn't feel wanted from Adelaide if that makes sense and as a player that's really all you want and, and the emphasis on the club has changed so much for South Australian players that mm. they're the first ones they want to go after. And I think that's a, a really strong message from the club because there are so many talented Adelaide-based players. Why would you want them to be playing for another team so they can be playing for your hometown club? Yeah, agreed, agreed. I always had that feeling too when I was in Canberra. I always wanted to come back to Melbourne and then I ended up at Gold Coast and Adelaide and I was always like, I wish, I wish that perspective was there because it's kind of like sentimental coming back to your hometown club but um you really sort of like and I, I think I agree like the position you would have gone in in Canberra would have helped set you up but it's just you can't really compare when you go into a professional club and then you're fending for yourself because the AIS is like it's just incredible like the state of the art you got fed you got physio anything you ever needed you could get with a click of your fingers whereas when you're in the real world you're like okay now I've got to start fending for myself and outside of the club so I feel like you probably would have left Melbourne City um, when you did leave like you would you know, came in a boy, left a man in some regards. And I think your time at Brisbane was really, um, you know, it wasn't like you hadn't already put your authority and stamp on the A-League, but you definitely really um, made a lot of noise there in headlines. And I'm keen to understand as well, actually, from the Brisbane journey, um, how the, the move or the, the deal with uh, NEC came about um, in particular, because, like, that's not a small club. That's a massive club in Holland in the top flight. Uh, and all our dreams as footballers is to get that move to Europe. So, um, you know, how, how did that come about? And that must have been an, an amazing moment for you. Yeah, it was, it was massive. I guess that was on the back of, um, of winning, winning the A-League with Adelaide and getting away with the Socceroos. 
And my, my dream had always been to, you know, to play in Europe. I always had it mapped out in my head. I was going to play a couple of years in the A-League. I was actually going to leave at 18 to go to Europe, but that didn't happen. Um, <laughs> so I stayed, stayed, stayed an extra couple of years. And, and I was away with the, with the Socceroos at the time. And um, I was in England. And uh, Robbie Villart, who was at Melbourne Heart, was in contact with me, messaged me and said, oh, maybe there's this club because his dad was um, – an agent or a sports director at that stage. And he just said, I'll, I'll put your name out there as well as my agent, Vince Grella, who was looking for clubs. And he just came up and they were like, well, they're really interested. Um, there's a couple of other teams. Um, Harry Kuehl was at Watford then in the reserves and he was um, was speaking as well to Vince Grella. And there was an Italian team um, that really was keen as well. And, and I just felt that the best move was to go to Holland because of the, the league that it is. Um, it was the least amount of money to earn there by a long way. But the the footballing um, journey was, I guess, the right fit for that in the sense of if I could go there and play, I was going to be able to get another move rather than being a, going to a big club and, and really struggling, probably going out on loan. So it was it was something that it made sense and it was the right footballing decision and, and something that I've always tried to base every decision off has not been money, it's been football. And it didn't, didn't work out the best um, football when I was there. But again, what I learned off the field has put me in this position today. So as harsh as that um, 12 months was, it was the, the best 12 months of my life as well in, in other ways. Why for you, like, and because this is like football can be a real lonely game sometimes, especially when you have these moves and these opportunities where you're living your dream and then you realise like, actually, I'm, I'm not even getting recognised or the opportunity is not there or I'm injured or whatever. It doesn't go to plan. Like for you, what was really tough about that period and, and how do you think coming out of it, like what, what's that given you back? Yeah, I guess I, I went there. So the coach was a, a German, German Dutch guy. He'd been at um, Borussia Dortmund and in the under 18s or 16s. Um, and he was speaking to my agent. My agent flew over there, um, Vince Grella, who was in Italy. So it was an easy flight to go there, spoke to him. They, they were saying, we want to play exactly like Adelaide. The same as Dortmund almost with the 1-6, 210s. He'll be one of the 10s. Um, you know, he's going to be playing every week. And I was like, wow, this is going to be awesome. I watch Dortmund all the time. They play unbelievable football. Yeah. Things are going to be great. Got there and, and spent the first couple of weeks training. And it was hard hard to adjust, but I was still on a high confidence-wise and, and really excited and played a few games and we just got smashed. And like the training that we were doing was just bad, to be honest. There's no other way to put it. You know, <laughs> just basic things like passing drills. Uh, you know, the cones were too close to the other passing drills. So balls were hitting into each other. And I just felt like it was very um it was a big step back from what i was experiencing at adelaide coaching wise wow. um that's and, and that's obviously was a massive yeah massive massive surprise and then played the first game of the season got taken off after half time and didn't play for the next couple of weeks that was really hard to take and then i went and asked the coach i'm like you know what, what's going on like i don't really understand obviously you know i don't think i played my best but i thought i was okay and he said oh we want you to be um quicker and, I, and he's like, we, we, we need you to be faster. And I said, well, I'm 20, I'm 20, 21. I'm not going to become fast all of a sudden like that. <laughs> it's not going to make, it's, not, it's just not going to happen. So I, I, I was just, I'm as quick as what I am now as what I was in Adelaide when you're looking at the footage. Yeah. Um, I think, I think that was just his, his way of looking at it. And I guess the German way, they love power. They love people that are really explosive. And to be honest, compared to some of the other players, I wasn't. But at the same time, I, I think it was more so, a bit of an excuse and he played players he probably trusted a little bit more and and then from there it was really hard mentally to um 
you know, to deal with that that setback. And, and that probably crushed me a little bit because I felt like, well, I can't do anything to change this. And I, mm. the biggest thing I regret is I think I did give up a little bit and I, I stopped trying in some sessions because I thought, well, I can't get quicker. What's the point where I should have had the attitude of, All right, I'm going to prove this guy wrong. I'm going to be the best at training every single day. And, and that's something that I mm. took out of it was as bad as a coach can be or as bad as an environment you can be in, you know, you can still control your outlook on it and what you're kind of putting out there. So it was um, a massive learning experience from that side of things, of the mental side of the game. And, um, you know, I still love, I love living in Holland. I love living overseas. I'd, I'd do anything to go back to Europe because it's, um, you know, it's the world of football where they live and breathe it there. Like, uh, like it's a religion, I guess. So but I guess that leading into my, and we'll, we'll see, you kind of segue into the mental aspect of the game, but just, just before we do, like for you to finish your career, and sort of look back with no regrets. You, you think you've got to get back to Europe at least some point um, and, and kind of just fulfill what maybe you couldn't there last time? Or is it, it's kind of, you know, you Yeah. It's a different... It would moment. be... <laughs> oh, well, yeah. It was, I think my, my only regret in football I have today is the my attitude when I was in Holland after probably the first three or four months. But I, I really can't change that now. All I can do is obviously worry about the way I'm acting now. If, if the opportunity came up to go to, Hol to Holland or another country in Europe, I would jump at it. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's, it's, it's not as easy the older you get. And obviously the money now with COVID is probably smaller in those countries. So there's, right. there's a lot more that goes into it. But if, um, if I could get back there, I, I, would, I would love to. But you know what? I actually just to, because um, I resonate with what you're saying around those challenges when you get shafted by a coach, and you got to turn up every day and train. I actually think that's one of the hardest things in football is to turn up every day knowing you're not wanted and still trying to be the best. Um, so the fact that like you look back on that as like a regret, like I was self-imploding every week when I wasn't picked. So, um, but but it is it's it is like that's the mental toughness that comes with the game. It's like you've got to put that aside. And it's really interesting your journey. And I touched on it at the start of the episode was um, how you've kind of moved towards. I guess, a real sort of mental aspect and real focus on the mental and mindfulness nature of, of the athlete and how that sort of helps performance. So before we go into, I guess, the concept of the inner game journal and where that came from, but what, what really sort of drew you to mindfulness and, and also sort of meditation and, and focusing on the mental aspect? Um, I think I've always been someone that has wanted to do anything possible to become better. And, and that actually started when I was at the AAS and I'm being exposed to what we spoke about, you know, earlier with nutritionists, sports psychologists, sports science, you know, your recovery, you're just surrounded by everything that you needed to be better. And I always just, I had um, probably a fear of not fulfilling my potential. And um, I never wanted to look back with regret and be like, I didn't make it because of um, X, Y, and Z. And, and I think it was in your talk, you actually spoke about, um, there's only a certain percentage of players that come to the AIS that get a contract. Um, and from that, I was like, wow, I need to make sure that obviously out of this, it was, you know, 30% or 20%, something like that. I can't even remember exactly. Um, I, I need to be one of those. Mm -hmm. So if I'm going to be like that, I need to make sure I kind of give it everything. And then going into the elite environment, it was the same thing. I always thought, well, I don't need to go on that night out or I don't need to drink the alcohol or I need to, don't need to have that chocolate bar. Um, those are probably the first things I was focusing on. The mental side of it was something that um, is less spoken about. It still is to this day. Yeah, I think it's not um, focused on as, and I don't regret. know why. It's my biggest regret was yeah, not training like, my brain as hard as I trained my technique because I we did. Yeah. It wasn't like it wasn't made aware as a kid. It wasn't important, 
Um, it, it, and it's yeah, so it's, critical, isn't it? It's, I, I think, you know, it's, it's the most important thing. I think the hardest thing and probably why it's not spoken about more or it's not invested in more is that it's not tangible. So, you know, you get a sports science guy in and he says, well, I'm going to get your players running an extra 10% more than what they did per game last year. You can see that in a result, you know, on the GPS. But if someone comes in and says, I'm, I'm going to train everyone so they're playing 10% better and they're mentally feeling better, how, how can you judge that? It's, it's something that's not... Um, not able to be. And I think that's why it's um, slowly getting more tapped into because certain, you know, probably like a Richmond, for example, in, in the AFL, they've mm. spoken about it a lot more. And, and obviously Ash Barty with tennis, with um, um, Crow, um, Ben Crow's obviously in that, in that field. And there's plenty of others that are now speaking a whole lot more about it and, and you're seeing how much more powerful it is. And, and that, you know, led me into when I was at Melbourne city, I started to write goals. I had a vision board and, all these things back then that I was very um, wow. secretive about because I thought it was, um, well, probably was very foreign compared to what other players are doing, but I had it in my room. So if any boys were coming over, I'd have to quickly go it. in there and like, and hide it because it was embarrassing. That's amazing. <laughs> um, I can completely understand so your was, perspective yeah. there as well. Yeah. Cause that's the, yeah. the lad's environment. Like are you, are you all right, mate? Like just, yeah, but that's, be that's yeah, beautiful. Yeah, exactly. doing, man. That's awesome. Yeah. So it was, um, that's, that's really where it started. And, and in Holland, was probably where I um, I struggled the most, and that's where I started to read a lot more books and and kind of look into it a whole lot more. And thought, well, you know, this is probably the last piece of the puzzle. I know I'm I know I'm a good player. Like I've proven that I'm a good player. I can do it at a certain level. And coming back to Melbourne after that, I got introduced to a a guy that taught me meditation um, through a mentor and, and physio friend of mine, and I really enjoyed that aspect. Um, and then it was I guess about just trying to figure out what works best for me because there's no um you know, one size fits all and that it's just, you know, trying different things and, and if it works, great. If it doesn't, I, I won't do it anymore and, and that's kind of how it's been. Mm. So when, you, when you're sort of, um, like your concept of meditation, is it more just for yourself to kind of have that sort of inner peace or is it kind of like a way to break away from the game and distance yourself from, you know, the rigours of what football is? Because I actually don't think we're, you know, it's very hard for a lot of athletes to leave football on the pitch and when they go home, to separate, to set, you know, have a separate life. It, it, a lot of people take it, you know, what happens on the pitch back home, and I was one of them. So, is that sort of your concept of where you think it helps? Yeah, I think just being able to relax yourself. Or I, I do it. Um, I think uh, I'm going to say like transcendental meditation. So I focus on a mantra, and I do it every morning. I'll do it for 20 minutes when I wake up, um, and then most afternoons I try to do it. You know, when I get tired around three, four o'clock. I'll do that again for 20 minutes or 15 minutes if I can. And it was just something that I think I needed at that point in my life. And it, it helps me as much on the field as it does off the field. You know, I just, um, especially when you, you have a, a really nice meditation, you, you kind of get out of that and you're just so much clearer in all your thoughts. And, um, you know, it doesn't mean that I'm going to play the best, but it means that I'm going to feel a lot better as a, as a person. And, and that obviously improves my performance on the field. So it's, um, it's something that I think everybody should try, whether it's, you know, there's different types of meditation and, you know, it's, it's, it's a, a big thing at the moment. I, I think everybody in lockdown, um, it's something that, that everybody could be doing for five or 10 minutes just to make them feel a little bit better yeah yeah i i agree and i actually think like a lot of athletes don't really tap into the spiritual side of themselves because for whatever reason but i i feel my perspective on it is um 
it's actually quite beneficial because you, you're quite defined by numbers and statistics, like games to goals or, you know, how many assists you've, you've played, how many games did you play last year? Like that's what people judge you off. Um, and sometimes you start believing those judgments and, and taking that into your personality. So um, I do want to get into um, a couple of actual examples of, of like mental health with, with professional athletes. We've seen quite a few um, of late and I just wanted to kind of speak to it because I know there's probably stuff that you've been through and, and obviously had to face and, and you can probably resonate. But did you see the um, gymnast, the American gymnast, what's her name, Simone Biles or when she, when she yeah. pulled out mid-Olympics just because mentally she just didn't want to compete. She didn't feel like she needed a break. And it was literally like one event before the gold medal. Um, yeah. And then also then then there was Na uh, what's Naomi Osaka at the Roland Garros just like that just pulled out because she didn't want to do media and mental health. And um, like it's pretty – does that resonate with you? Can you understand that? Because there's obviously a lot of people outside that are like, what are you doing? Um, but they don't really yeah, understand, right? Yeah, it's it's really um, it's so hard to understand. I've never um, gotten to the point where I wasn't going to rock up for a game, mm. but I also think the I guess it's hard because my pressure. If I feel like I'm under as much pressure as I possibly can be, that's the same as Simone Biles and, and Naomi Osaka, mm -hmm. even though they're at different levels. You know, my maximum pressure that I I've faced is my maximum. Yeah. So. Um, I'm not saying that I'm all of a sudden more resilient than them, but I've probably been fortunate enough that maybe my mechanisms that I've created for myself work and, um, and maybe what they needed at that time was to step away from the game or from performing in front of billions of people. And it's, it's something that, you know, every player hundred percent feels that pressure of, um, you know, of, of performing at their best and those, who uh, are expected to win. You know, Simone Biles, she's obviously the greatest gymnast ever, but she's expected to go out there and win gold. Mm. And even though from having a little bit of knowledge of gymnastics through my partner, um, she is better than everyone else. She's just better. There's no other way about it. <laughs> you know, she has to go out there and perform. Like she's maybe a superior athlete, but, you know, if she's having doubts about herself and then, you know, she makes a mistake, it's going to be pretty critical that, you know, she's flipping in the air and she's made a mistake because she's doubted herself. She's going to really hurt herself. So it's, um, it's probably different in that aspect that you want to make sure that you, you're a hundred percent committed to what you're doing. And, and Naomi Osaka as well, you know, it's, it's just, it's more sad to see, I think, because you know how much they're struggling and, and like what you spoke about before, you know, being an athlete is, is our life. So if, if we're choosing not to do that, there must be a really, really big issue. And it's something that, is now um, uh, spoken about a lot more mm. in a positive way that, you know, before you would have got called weak and you can't hack it and that's just not good enough, where now it's almost like, well, no, they're extremely brave for coming out and actually showing how vulnerable um, they are right now. And, and it's something that will hopefully make more junior athletes tap into this at a younger age. So hopefully they don't get to that point. That, I think, Correct. is the biggest thing. When you talk about that, like the thing that, I guess makes me sort of like prompts my interest about this is when Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka are making noise of this. I'm like, how many athletes are actually going through the same thing, but don't say it because I reckon a lot of people would turn up and try and play at the highest level under the biggest scrutiny and, and not really be in the, the best headspace possible. And for all the listeners out there, the reason why we're talking through some of these points and highlighting the above is, is really because of the, I think it's actually an incredible idea and the venture and the, the 
the business around what you're doing, but also how it's going to help athletes and their performance um, is something quite unique with the Inner Game Journal that you've you've developed and brought over the, the last couple of years. So for all those that don't know what it is, can you talk us through it and, and how it came about? Yeah, so it's um, I guess it's a, it's a journal that's based um, around everything that I think an athlete needs to, um, to be the best person they can be, um, but also the best athlete. And I think, you know, you can't have one without having the other. And that was something that I learned a lot um, when I was over in Holland and then came back after to Australia and, and I obviously put all my eggs in being an athlete and I define myself and I'm sure as what you did as a footballer so when that gets taken away through injury or not getting a contract you're you're almost um, got no self-worth and that was something that I really I didn't want to happen so I was like well I need to create you know obviously who I am as a person and mold that into obviously then the footballer as well and um through obviously all the experiences I went through, I just had, um, you know, different things that I thought were important. And I started doing it myself, you know, through there was gratitude journals and just blank journals and vision boards and figuring out what I thought my values were and just everything. Um, and I just started to, I guess, put it together and into first it started with a big A4 folder um, with plastic sleeves and I was carrying that around everywhere. And that was, um, that was a struggle on away trips, and at the start, I was hiding it from people, similar to when I was wait. Um, so, so was this younger. is like your own. You're just doing this for yourself at this point, and you've created yeah. like your, yeah. your own construct and formula. Okay. okay. Yeah. So that's how that's how I first got into it, um, and then it was yeah, it was funny that you know I was carrying that around, and there was a few. There was Jack Hingard at Brisbane who um, who probably saw me and was thinking, "What is that?" And I obviously explained it. He was like, oh, "That's cool," but I, I really found that that it helped me, and then. Um, I got one made at Officeworks, which was A5, and it was a little bit nicer. And I started to put in like a vision board at the front through reading a few different books, my purpose value. So I then combined it all. And it was a little bit nicer. And um, I was just feeling really good about doing it. And I, and I showed another player who was like, wow, that's awesome. You know, maybe you can make me one. And that was just before COVID hit. So then during COVID, I just started to think about, well, maybe I can make my own nice one online and I can just get those made um, and I was looking everywhere for an athlete journal there was just nothing out there there was blank journals there was gratitude journals there was affirmation there was all these different types of journals but nothing specific for an athlete and I was actually amazed that there wasn't uh, so far obviously with how important it is and then I thought well maybe I'll create my own and that was going to cost me like 150 bucks to do and I was like well that's that's not possible to do for a business or myself mm. so I um I guess I then went on the journey of trying to I guess source manufacturers overseas and put it all together and I was fortunate again that um, Ben Garuccio, who's my my best mate, his his girlfriend can do very um, cool things on uh, in design mm -hmm. and and graphic design and and she could make it for me. So then we just started talking in the hub and put everything together and and then it was all right now we need to set up everything for a business obviously so a website wow, different bank details and um i guess everybody in the hub was playing a lot of you know whether it's playstation watching movies or playing cards and i still did obviously a lot of that but i spent a lot of my time walking around and and just sitting down and trying to figure out how it was best to do this because it was something that i um know how much i struggled and, and i just thought well if i'm struggling there has to be all these other athletes that are struggling as well. So um, let's just give it a crack and let's see 
see how many I can kind of get to. And that's how it all came about. Mate, it's, it's insane. And it's, it's kind of amazing because it's like when you brought it out, I was like, oh, no shit. Like that's, that could really help. And it's like, why the fuck is that not, why is that not coming out before? You know? <laughs> um, yeah. But like, so just to talk through like the actual sort of fundamentals of, of the journal. So is it really like, how is it going to offer support for individuals and athletes? Like are they documenting things that they're going through? Are they talking about training performance? Is it goal setting? Like how does it, how does it kind of give them sort of value back? Yeah, so I guess there's two there's two different versions. So at the moment, there's the Athlete Performance Journal, which is the main one, and that's a three-month one. And then you've got the Youth Performance Journal, which is obviously more for younger athletes. And I think both of them, well, I know both of them have um, a vision board at the start. So again, you know, getting an athlete to think about what's, you know, what does their future look like on the field, off the field, photos of loved ones or future endeavors that they have, you know, going to the Olympics, uh, World Cup, playing for your dream team, all these things that whenever they open it up every day, they look at it and they get inspired by it, which I think a lot of people now create vision boards. I know I did again, like I spoke about, but a lot of the time you then stop looking at it almost because it's in a study or it's in a second bedroom and you don't go into it. So I'm like, well, if I look at it every day when I open it up, visually I'm then going to get excited and, and be motivated and probably more confident. So that was a really powerful thing to have in it. And then you go into a self, self-discovery almost, which is uh, purpose, vision, values, um, and a message to your younger self. And, and I felt that was a really important thing for me because I like what I spoke about. I'm you know, a human being first before a footballer, so I need to know what my purpose is, what my values are. So every day I'm in alignment with that, and that then goes on to the skills. So for me, my purpose is you know, to inspire everyone else around me to be the best they can be. So whether I'm on this podcast chatting to you, whether I'm in the street helping a random person or playing a football game, I can still do that. That purpose is still there. And um, I guess it creates a, a powerful thing for me, whether I'm playing football or not, because touch wood, an injury could happen and I might not be able to play or I might not get a contract. But, you know, that purpose never changes. And, and that's what um, I believe makes me go out and play better because I'm not just focused on being the best player I can be and I need to reach a certain level, you know, I'm focused on being the best person I can be. So when I'm playing, you know, I'm, I'm working hard, I'm doing everything right so I can inspire a kid in the crowd or my teammates to be the best they can be, um, which is really powerful. And, and then next you go into some mindset goals you want to set for yourself. And again, some photos of people that will inspire you to do that. So, you know, if you want to be obviously very strong mentally on, on the field or the court or whatever it is you play, you know, you put people there like a Michael Jordan or a Christian Ronaldo, people that you think almost, what would they do in this situation? What if they missed a penalty, what would they think like? And I know oh, it's that's a, that's not awesome. always, yeah, it, you're not going to always think like that straight away, but I guess the more you look at it and the more you read it, it's, it's subconsciously now in you. So when you're on the field, hopefully you're like, all right, I've made a mistake, but I don't care. I'm onto this next thing. Um, so it's almost, you're hopefully becoming your own, um, you know, your own self, like psychologist, and 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 trying to improve your yourself as a person and as an athlete. And then you go into your, you know, weekly planning, weekly review, which obviously everything off the field contributes to on the field. So making sure everything's um, in order. And then your daily pages is spread out into, you know, your schedule, gratitude, goals off the field. Um, performance goals, which I try and do more process goals, a review section of, of training, which you can individualize and do your own specific skills, and then just a journaling section. So it's pretty pretty full on, and I've just tried to make it very simple that if some random person picked it up, 
they would almost be able to do it without having a guidebook with them. Wow, man. It's it's pretty cool. As you know, you touch on that point around Michael Jordan. It's like I understand now the philosophy behind it because I'll go back to the example of you in Holland uh, when you had that down period and you were sort of negative. Maybe that perspective there would have been really good. Like actually, how would Michael Jordan respond to this? Like would he, yeah. you know what I mean? Like and, and having that inbuilt in your psychology. Yeah. That's kind of what you're saying, right? Little things like that, I assume. Yeah, yeah. Like you're just trying to, I guess, um, promote good self-talk and positive self-talk rather yeah. than negative self-talk because yeah. it's it's going to happen regardless. I think you know you, you start to say bad things, but if you can if you can stop it the bad the bad comments to yourself quickly um, and make them positive comments or without you even realizing if you're you know five minutes to go in the game and you're thinking I'm going to score I'm going to score this winning goal that's all you're saying to yourself. You know, I'm not saying you're always going to do it, but you've probably got more of a chance that you're actually going to do it then than if you're not saying it. Correct. So it's um, it's really just priming priming your brain and I guess who you want to be. So that's that's the main concept behind it, and and I think it's been really well received so far, and and hopefully it's just going to grow bigger because I guess the main reason why it was created was to help other athletes, whether they're professional, semi-professional, um, you know, a mum or a dad that just likes being active. I think anyone that can um, go out and exercise is classified as an athlete. Hundred so. percent. Yeah, everyone's an athlete in my eyes as well, and it's actually like it's so beneficial this journal, um, folks. That it's it's actually something that every every child or, or kid or teenager who's playing sport. Um, I think should have as like a weapon to to start sort of mentally training themselves and preparing themselves for how you need to think as a, as a professional athlete. And um, coming back to like the business aspect of this, because that's like something that I'm also interested in, like for you, like how you, is this something you're trying to do on a larger scale? You're trying to impact obviously a lot of communities, a lot of football clubs, a lot of professional athletes all in the one. Um, one, so I'm just keen to understand, I guess, your perspective on, you know, how you're looking to maybe approach that. And then two was, I've seen that you've, you know, you've, you've partnered with certain people and professional, great professional Australian athletes that are, you know, ambassadors on the Inner Game Journal as well. So, you know, how did that sort of, how are you arranging those engagements as well? Yeah, I guess um, the business side of things was something that I've always been interested in since I was a bit younger and um, obviously bit entrepreneurial but I never really understood how to go about anything I always had ideas but it was like how can I do it and and this obviously was an easier one to do and I could use my profile a bit more and um, it's been a big learning experience there's been so many things along the way that keep popping up and you're like well I've got a great product now why isn't everyone buying it well it's like okay well you need to get it in front of people and you need to actually sell it to them you know if I was doing a podcast with everyone they probably would buy a journal afterwards but I obviously can't do that with all the people in the world. So it's, um, it's trying to find ways to obviously sell the product and make it um, be exposed to the right people yeah. and, and resonate, resonate with different people. So that's been really cool to go through that process. And um, I'm lucky enough. I've had some good mentors, some, some people, the vacay swimwear guys um, I played with one of the, the guys from there, Jordi Kalios, and he's helped me out quite a lot, putting me in touch with good people. And, and I guess just being connected to other athletes has happened through word of mouth and and it's something that's actually really strange and you would have experienced it as well you know we for some reason when we play football we only interact with footballers mm. and if you play afl you only interact with afl players and, and i don't know why it's always been like that but we should probably connect a lot more because we have the same challenges the same problems and we could probably learn a lot of each other but you never 
would just start randomly messaging those people on Instagram and say, hey, man, would love to catch up for a coffee because they'd probably turn about why. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? 100%. Where, where I've actually um, – <laughs> it'd be a random thing. You know, if some, some random player did that, I'd be like, that's strange. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. All right, I guess I, I, I would be okay for it. Some people would be like, no, I'm not catching up. This yeah, guy's yeah, a weirdo. That? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, I've now got that reason to kind of message them. So I've been able to have conversations with them around it and – um, that's probably been the most exciting thing about it is I've been able to meet different athletes from different sports and get to know them a little bit better and understand they go through the same things. And it's, um, it's all just really exciting to know that anything, you know, if I started the t-shirt company and did that, you know, a lot of them would be like, pay me X amount. Well, a lot of them have been really good about it because they want to promote the same thing. You know, mm. mental health is important and, and teaching younger athletes, but obviously other ones, you know, this is a product that can obviously help you and, and you should look into it. So I've been very, very fortunate and then to partner with obviously the athletes but then recently with our players union um the pfa they've been really big and um their whole message is obviously about improving people on the field and off the field so i've loved love to be able to partner with them and and hopefully i'll be starting some um workshops with the younger younger athletes and footballers which i've been doing with clubs here so it's been yeah it's been really good and trying to juggle obviously being a footballer the captain and and the and the journals has been really tough but it's something that's actually i guess i reckon has improved my performance on the field and uh, and who i am as a person so it's a it's a really good really good thing that i've been um been able to find kudos to you man it's pretty amazing what you're doing um i think you're you're doing a lot of inspirational things on the field and off the field as we've spoken of the inner game journal peeps i do highly recommend any athlete give it a look it may not be for everyone, but I tell you what, you've got to give it a try first. And I think there's some fundamental benefits um, that people can really, really hone in on. And Steph, you've, you've spoke of obviously your own experiences there and, and how you've created this concept into reality and then and now seeing like the best that in the field, certain fields of sports actually go, this is really helpful. And that must be so fulfilling. And I actually, I actually got a phone call the other day and I mentioned to a friend in Adelaide, I had you coming on and they passed on a story that I just <laughs> I wanted to bring up to see if it's true because um but apparently the great Andrew McLeod as everyone should know one of the one of the best halfback players in the AFL in, in AFL history and probably the best indigenous player that's ever played the game in in Australia so um obviously living in Adelaide and I believe there may have been an order that came in from the McLeod household at least maybe you presume so you thought um, oh, you know what? I'll go over there and hand this one in person and, and do the right thing. They're a local, and obviously it's Andrew McLeod. Why not? And um, <laughs> apparently that you went over, <laughs> gave gave the journal to Andrew McLeod, and he just had absolutely no idea who you were. <laughs> is that? Is there any yeah. chance? Of that? <laughs> yeah, it's. Um, I would love to say it's not true for his sake, but it's uh, it's a hundred percent true. It was a very. <laughs> Very, very strange um, experience. And, and I went on his podcast um, a few months back and they explained the story and he felt terrible about it and he was making excuses saying that he was he was tired and maybe a bit hungover from the night before and he couldn't see over the fence. Oh, and, that's rubbish. Yeah, I think, I think he, um, yeah, maybe he just, he just had no idea. And obviously <laughs> I was... I was just the courier, courier driver for him. Yeah. So it was, um, <laughs> oh, mate, that's one of the great was, uh, stories uh, ever. Yeah, it was good. It was funny, and to relive it on the podcast was um, was good with him, and they were giving him a fair bit of bit of shit for it. So it's um, yeah, it's pretty funny, mate. Awesome. Um, final one for me, man. What what are your what are your your goals for this this season? What's a great great season in the A League look like for Stefan Mark? Um, so I guess the the big thing for me is I want to win. I want to win something. So I think you know us 
us winning the championship is the main goal individually. I, I, I set set goals at the start of the season of um, scoring X amount of goals and assists and stuff like that. So I've got no problem with saying I want to score over 10 goals. Um, but one thing that I've done um, really religiously over the last couple of years is I set those goals and then I almost, I don't look at them anymore. And then I just focus on the process goals. So every single day I have things that I need to work on. Um, and if I can focus on my process goals, then the end result is normally really positive. So um, that's the uh, that's the big one for me. Awesome, bro. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast, man. Very well spoken, very insightful, um, very intuitive, and also the Inner Game Journal. What a concept, bro. Really, really proud to see what you're doing. Obviously, obviously my presentation back in the day must have really spurred you on to do some great <laughs> things. But no, yeah. <laughs> no, it's been a pleasure having you on, mate. And i you know really looking forward to seeing how you go this season. Man, cheers. I appreciate it. And um, yeah, we'll speak soon. Are you a podcaster? Maybe you've got that big idea and you're looking for a network to join. The multi-award winning Ozcast Network can get your content to eyes and ears all over the world. Join now for the first month free and you could be featuring this sound at the beginning of your podcast. Ozcast. Simply head to ozcastnetwork.com for details.